You know, I think this is the first episode of the of the entire show, episode two thirty nine, where I'm no longer a contractor. Maybe like the first few episodes, I was still at Octopus, but huh. Welcome to the nine to five. Literally. Well, actually, which nine to five is it? Because you're on the West Coast. Yeah, nine to five on my side. Well, uh, yeah, my 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 meetings start at nine a.m. So. Oh yeah, they're based in Vancouver, right? Uh, yeah, Vancouver, Victoria. But we have people all over the place. Yeah. In fact, uh, when I got hired, the person that was hired alongside of me is from Italy. <laughs> oh, that's pretty wild. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the nine to five. Yeah, meetings start at nine and end at five. <laughs> that's it. Just straight through. I uh, get, I sit at my laptop and I turn on Zoom and work begins. Mm-hmm. Are you like the guy who's doing his homework in the back of class, like while the class is still going on? Like you're, uh, you're doing your work in the middle of your Zoom meetings? Um, uh, no, not not yet. Mm, yeah, not yet. I've been, I mean, like taking notes maybe, but I've been pretty attentive so far. Well, I was on one call. I mean, to be fair, there's a hundred people on it, but uh, oh one of the <laughs> one of the people uh, on the call I could see in the thumbnail. They like started the Zoom call and then walked across the room and, and then laid down on the couch. <laughs> yeah, don't care at all. That's great. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was it was, it was fine for that call. But bonus points if they don't have pants on; they're just in their boxer shorts. That hasn't happened yet. Yet, Thank, thankfully, yeah. But no, it's been uh, it's been a week for sure. I think I probably had more calls this week than I have in the last six months. Like, besides regular stand up set at side door or whatever. Yeah, what is that like? Like, is that gonna is that how it's gonna be from now on, or is it just because it's your first week and you're just meeting people and getting on board and starting a new project, or like it must be totally draining to be in in that many meetings? A little bit of that. Uh, a little bit of like one-on-ones meeting the other leads, um, meeting, you know, having like meeting, I guess, coaches. So we have like coaches. So I coach some people and I have a coach. So like talking to them a little bit, meeting the people. So I'm already, I'm already on my first project. A coach. Is that like being a boss without the pay? No, a coach is like career development kind of stuff. So not directly related to like projects that I'm on, just someone that cares about how I'm doing and people that I care about how they're doing in a in a career uh sense i suppose it sounds like a manager sean gonna be honest with you yeah kind of i guess but the i yeah i just i guess i haven't worked with that many i mean the people that we're on projects with there's like many teams so you know there's there's people in that area that i don't necessarily work with every single day but that i would want to keep up mentor yeah that's a that's a better way to put it so you're on this new project is this a brand new project that's just kicking off right now no uh, okay, you're you're just being thrown in the middle of it. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, which is fine. So it was either that, or I come in and my first project is a really really big one, uh, and that would have been a little bit less ideal than me coming and taking this one over. And this one's in good position already. So yeah, I, you know, shadowing. I thought I was going to be like shadowing for two weeks, but I'm taking over control on Tuesday. Oh my god! So. Yeah, which I mean, like, you know, the current lead on it is they'll be available if I need help, you know, for for questions and stuff, but they're going to the big one. So I'm taking this one over. And this one's already like ahead of schedule. Uh, Things are going well. The team that we're working with is technical already. So that I think makes things a little bit easier. And we have just, I don't know, a few sprints left on it. So 
it's you know it's getting closer it's closer to wrapping up than it is uh from starting this is cool so i know you can't probably talk about the project itself but you can uh, tell us a little about the tech and you mentioned sprints now <laughs> i'm going to be fully honest here i'm going to turn my my geek cred card or my nerd whatever uh i've never done like a real agile quote unquote businessy agile whatever nonsense thing you want to call it so like is that kind of what you're doing? Is that what you mean by sprints? And can you explain that for me? Like, I'm going to be the, uh, I'm going to be the dumb guy in the movie that asks questions just so the audience gets exposition. Like, I don't know what that even means. Like, I have a concept of it, but what the heck is a sprint, really? Uh, a sprint is essentially agreed upon unit of work within like a, a, a time frame. So a sprint could be two weeks, could be three weeks, could be six weeks. Doesn't matter what it is. Um, so yeah, it's part of the agile or scrum or whatever. They're kind of, if you read, uh, if you go to Jira's like documentation, they have, yeah, document, like they have help and stuff like that talking about it. So they're very quick to point out that like, Hey, agile is a set of principles and scrum is a framework or something like that. Got it. Okay. In re in reality, um, yeah. So in reality, a sprint is just a group of work that you think you can get done within, you can call it a cycle too, but it's a group of work that you think you can get done within two weeks or whatever. We do two weeks right now. And is it, is it done, is it sort of an internal process or is it something that's visible to the client as well? Like they, they expect something every two weeks. There, it's visible. Well, I guess it depends on the project. Um, so it is, it, on this project, it is visible to clients because we do, uh, we have a morning standup and so it's kind of, there's two kind of goals with that. Number one, obviously, so that they can kind of know what we're doing. We want them to feel, or we, we don't want that. We don't want us to feel like a black box to them. We want them to have a lot of visibility into what's going on. And luckily these clients are good with that. They're not like not controlling or, you know, anything like that, dictating the pace. So yeah, we have these morning standups, but more so it's us asking them questions and asking them for things that if we asked them for Slack the previous day and they didn't give us something then that the next morning put them on the spot and say, Hey, I need this or something like that. You know? Uh, so in that way it's visible to clients. So every morning we kind of like say, here's what we're working on. Here's what we got done, you know? And then at the end of the week we can start, we can look at the backlog. So that's partly my job, uh, but we'll look at the backlog and, and see what has to be done. And then we'll organize that into what we think we can get done in two weeks. And that'll be the next sprint. So then we talk to the client and be like, all right, here's what our goal is for the next two weeks. Here's what we're hoping to deliver. At the end of the two weeks, we'll do a presentation. So here's what we're, here's what we actually got done. Here's what we delivered. Yada, 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 stuff like that. And what's the failure mode there? What happens when it all inevitably falls down? Like we don't deliver or don't finish on, on time or? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, those tasks get pushed back to the next sprint and deadline gets pushed out if it has to be. So everything just gets pushed back really. That's really the only thing that would happen, I suppose. I mean, it could also, you could also just look at how much work was pitched, you know, and try to cut some of it out. I guess that depends on budgeting. That depends on the contracts that were signed. That depends on what the client was sold on. And I suppose that, you know, that would be reported to the people that are working on the pitching so that we can take that into account. Like, okay, maybe next time if this specific thing needs to happen, then we should actually a lot more time for it. Have you done this before with Octopus or is this, this is the first time you've done it sort of at this level? First time. So, well, yeah, at this level. So with Side Door, Jackie and I, 
were having, we were having sort of sprints like that. They weren't necessarily two weeks, but we would sort of, I would get with Lindsay and figure out what she wanted done or needed done. Um, and then I would get with Jaggy and then we would outline, okay, here's what we think we can do in the next two weeks. And then, you know, we would try, we would try to do that. So it wasn't like, (laughs) but that's, but that's one meeting as opposed to five, right? Right. Yeah. It was, it it was like one meeting every two weeks, but then we would catch up uh, on base camp async anyway. So, and then, yeah, it wasn't like a call every day with Lindsay. So this is, again, it's a little different because it is much more, but yeah. uh, So that happens. Um, Sprint planning happens and you just kind of have that cycle. So we're part of my role, I guess, is, is doing that sprint planning and helping with the, I guess it's called story pointing. So each, each thing you need done is approached as like a user story. We don't necessarily do that. So as a user, I want to do a, so that B or I want a, so that I can B or whatever. We don't necessarily do that. But one thing that does help is we apply story points. So 0.5 would be like something that you can do multiple 0.5s in a day. One would be like, this thing might take a full day to do. Two might be like, you know, two or three days. Three would be about a half a week and four would be a full week to do this thing. So as I'm looking at uh, the project, I think about how many developers I have. Um, so if I have two developers, that's, uh, and then me too. So the other thing is that I can, what I was advised to do was account only half of my time as work I can be developing. So that way I leave myself open for other things, which I'm glad, I'm glad they alerted me to that. But basically, yeah, we look at how many people are on the project, how many story points we have, and we try to line up like what we can do in that, in that scope, in that two weeks. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so it's really what it boils down to is giving yourself sort of this artificial deadline to sort of push you to get units of work done so they don't drag on forever, plus sort of budgeting the time that you do have available to tasks that are, I don't know, prioritized at any given moment. Is that kind of the idea? And I guess on a two-week cycle, like that gives you the ability to sort of change the focus if, if requirements change or if you learn something new. Right. Uh, yeah, you can complete what you need to do, but then all of a sudden you can, you know, you can decide to reprioritize or shift things around at that point. Yeah, and and like yeah, basically, yeah, and and like Green Jenny is saying, like these points, uh, they're not concrete. It's not a science. So. Like they're saying in the chat, you know, two points for one person could be six points for somebody else. So that's always fun to try to account for as well, because we do have a junior dev working on this and a senior dev working on this with me as well. So trying to figure out, you know, what what is more realistic. But I guess what's helpful is that we kind of do that together. So it's not just me handing out the points. It's we sit down together and we we kind of estimate things and then people kind of pick, they get to pick more or less like, I think I can do this or I think I can do that. Or if they have questions, maybe we'll let someone else do it. Um, but that was another thing that was, was kind of reiterated to me was like, this is definitely not a science, uh, and it's going to take a level of, you know, just getting to know the people you're working with, getting to know, uh, the technologies you're working with and getting to know how well, I guess what it really comes down to is how well are things broken down into these tasks? Because you could have icebergs floating around, right? So you could have one task that might have a hundred subtasks in it, you know? And, uh, that could be an issue. Yeah, when it comes down to it, points are just hours, right? It's just an abstraction on top of hours, mm-hmm. time credits. Yeah, yeah, basically. But it, it, yeah, I mean, we try to estimate what we can do, and hopefully we can do that. And if not, 
we adjust and take notes and figure out why we couldn't do it. There's a lot of, there's a big emphasis on, on retros too, on retrospectives after projects and after sprints. So if we missed a mark, we'll have a dedicated meeting towards that where we can actually figure out like, why did we miss it? How can we learn from this going forward? And then we'll take notes and make sure to notate that. And there's basically one massive like retrospective hub. So you can find a project that is wrapped and you can go there and you can find all of these notes on, on um, whether we did good, whether we did bad, and what we think we can learn from that experience. Uh, yeah, so so Web Queen is asking, is there a bigger picture over that that tries to that ties to the client's expectations or to their timeline expectations? Yeah, so I mean that happens early on. I think like maybe even before it gets to me, where there's there's producers working on a, a project, and the client partners, I think they're called, they work on the project as well, and so things are kind of you know, the timeline is agreed upon and signed. And before that even happens, I feel like a lot of this stuff is actually broken down into like these bigger chunks, right? So the the major features, right? The major flows are sort of kind of like agreed upon and things like that. And so estimation happens up front there too. So it's not like you're kind of getting along and finding out that we misestimated by months or weeks or whatever. Um, it sort of happens along the entire way, I suppose. And, and Green Jenny is asking, like, can you do bad in estimating? So that's a really good question. Um, everybody I've talked to, including my managers, have been very quick to say, like, yes, this is not a science. It's not exact. We try to be as best we can. And if we get it wrong, we try to, again, make notes of that and figure out how we got it wrong and how we can work on it next or, like, how we can do it better next time. So I think I have the benefit of working with a lot of people that have been doing this for a while. Um, I mean, some, some, some people that I just talked, like I talked to someone earlier today, uh, that's a, a web lead as well that that's been there for like six or seven years. And there's another one that's been there for eight years. Um, so luckily there's a lot of experience and a lot of history around estimating and doing these projects. They've been doing projects like this for a long time. So I think that I get to stand on those shoulders, luckily, uh, and I'm pretty happy about that, but I'm sure you could, you know, you know, if you consistently make those mistakes and don't learn from it, I think then you can, yeah, you could be doing bad estimating for sure. It's really cool. Thanks. Thanks for taking time to explain it to me. I know this is probably old hat to a lot of people who are listening, but I've never, I've never been involved in that kind of experience. I mean, even when I was at my, my real jobby job for, for two years, like we didn't have any kind of processes in place like that. It was always just, there's issues in team foundation server or not TFS. What did we use? We used whatever the Microsoft issue tracker was, uh, the old one but yeah just like whatever issues need done like just dole them out and we had a weekly meeting and that was that was the only structure we had you know what i mean and that honestly like that worked fine for the pace that we were moving at you know we're uh mostly developing spending time developing new products and like you know yeah there are deadlines for that and stuff and but at some point like you just got to fork you just got to fork the repo and, and yeah. you know cut the cut the release and then you could do the maintenance branch off that and anyway uh yeah, it was whatever I've done before has been not been anything at all like the modern agile methodology. So I find it interesting uh, from an outsider's perspective. You know, like you said, there's the sort of seems like the overload of meetings, but I don't know if that's unique to software or if just big companies in general. So, well, I think that I have more meetings specifically because of my role. Uh, and so I get more of those meetings so that the devs I'm working with don't get those meetings. And, and I turn around and sort of document that for them, or I do some more of the busy work. So that was what it was described to me in the interviewing process. Anyway, it's about 50, 50, 50% 50 
product like project management, doing doing the sprint planning, doing the documentation, making sure that we we think we're on timeline, and then also following up with our devs. Like, hey, how are we feeling? You know, so today we're getting towards it's Thursday. We're getting towards the end of uh, the week, and Wes, the current uh, lead that I'll be taking over for. Um, you know, I saw him a couple of times during the day in, in Slack, just like, Hey, how everyone's feeling? Does anyone need help? Do, do we need to push anything back? Like, how's everyone, everyone's everyone doing? And there's, there's a fair bit of not micromanagement because it doesn't not feel like micromanagement at all, but more so like making sure that everyone's doing okay with what they're doing. So we do have a junior dev and I have noticed for sure that, that, uh, there's a little bit more handholding there, but the senior dev has been able to do like, just be productive. And, and not have the handholding done. So I guess I don't, really, I don't really have much experience in other companies doing this stuff, but so far it seems like everyone has a really good view of this and there's not been anybody come in say, uh, you know, crunching numbers and trying to make it exact and, and not allowing any room for wiggle room. So in fact, like because we're a little bit of a head schedule, you know, we're pulling, we're pulling stuff up for the next sprints. And and we're like reorganizing that stuff to make sure that when we get to the end of this project that we're in a good spot. So we're kind of like already working ahead to make sure that the handoff and things go well and not kind of like pushing that off. That's really cool. I know a lot of developers sort of loathe the fact that Agile became this, you know, manifesto that turned itself into like this rigid business practice. And it sounds like what you have at MetaLab is, is actually... Uh, somewhere in between where it's like you're using the processes these sort of made up made up tool set to sort of uh that meets the you know follows those agile guidelines but at the same time like like you said is is flexible enough to you know people understand the process but they know enough to know when it's not working and like how right. to uh how to work within the bounds of it as opposed to just like you know it just being this hard and fast rule yeah, and exactly like you just said, it's not this hard and fast rule, and that's how they seem to. They don't seem to treat it that way because there could be many more things that we would throw into the process that are sort of described as Scrum or Agile, uh, but we sort of use how it works for us. And so, like we use Jira, we don't use all of Jira's tools, but we use it as more of a you know backlog and Kanban organization setup. So Jira it works that way because you put. Tech tickets in and you put them in sprints. They're literally called sprints in Jira. And then at each sprint you're working on, your devs just go to the Kanban view and they move stuff over. Feels just like how I did it in Ocean, to be honest. Uh, although, you know, I have thoughts on Jira already after using it for four days. Uh, I think everyone does, though. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it's all right. It's all right. I'm I'm trying to hit it on. The, if, you're, if you have to use Jira, I would say use the web version and not the Mac app. I feel like the Mac app uh, needs some work. Needs some work, but the 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 web app has a really good keyboard shortcuts. So I'll say that I'll try to keep it positive. But but uh, uh, like Green Jenny says in the chat, the heart of Agile is like the heart of the, the the Toyota production system. Not a set of tools, but a learning process. Tools can be thrown away, but you can't afford to stop thinking about continuous improvement. And that's that's kind of what it feels like to me. Exactly. So you know, I don't feel super productive yet. Um, and things are moving a little faster than, than, you know, I thought they would. So I've already started leading standups. I've already, I've already like written, uh, feature, uh, design pitches and presented them to client, the clients, uh, and, and all that stuff. So it's been easy enough for me to kind of get in and like observe that process. And because it is sort of an pre-established process, I can go elsewhere and find, it's like using tailwind kind of, right? 
when you start using Tailwind, it's like Tailwind is Tailwind, whether it's here or there. Well, good for you, man. I'm glad. I'm glad it's working out okay. It's only Thursday. You haven't even had a full week there yet, and that's great, though. Yeah, I was getting a little frustrated today because uh, I have a couple of tasks that I'm knocking out, and now I'm actually writing TypeScript and React. And uh, before I was like, you know, doing lessons and and reading, and that was all great. But now I'm actually writing this stuff, and I'm at that point again where you feel like you're starting at square zero, and you're like, why would I just work? And you want to feel productive, but like I'll get to that point. But um, I tend to rush myself too much, I think. So, tell me a little about the technical aspect of what you're working on with this new project. Um, yeah. So what I can say is that it is a React app. Surprise! It's a React spa. Uh, it doesn't use Create React app or anything. Doesn't use Next or anything like that. It's just uh, from scratch. And I guess that's because they have lots of boilerplate that's already written that they just pull over from other projects and things like that. But yeah, it's not really like a crud thing. It's sort of used more for a sales tool. So what this company does, uh, if you're not hearing from them, then that's a good thing. But that's also not great for some, you know, some of their customers might be like, well, what am I paying you for? If, you know, kind of like out of sight, out of mind, like we, we at DK, that was kind of like that. We had, we had automated emails and things like that. And some people are like, what are you actually doing? It's like, well, what we're doing, you don't necessarily see. So this is sort of a tool that allows their customers to actually see what's happening behind the scenes, see what the machines are doing of sorts. So yeah, it's a React spa that connects to their already existing APIs and it just sort of presents user, presents information to users in, in a nice way. So that's kind of nice. It's kind of like half a project compared to what you're used to. Yeah, kind of. I don't have to worry about the API at all. I do have to say, like, ask them to change a destructive action endpoint from a get request to a delete request or things like that. But I don't have to do that, which is nice. <laughs> I just have to wait for it to be done. Or just deal with the crappy API. Yeah, it was a little... It, honestly, they dealt with it fine. Like, I didn't want to come in. The thing I didn't want to happen is me come in and, and try to, like, people feel like I was trying to rock the boat, especially clients. Like, I don't want to come in and be like, you got to change all this stuff, you know? You don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that person. So uh, that was received well enough. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so that's what it is. It's a custom React app. Um, It's cool because it's like sort of internal facing, you know, so you don't have to necessarily, obviously we don't want to ship a bloated app, but you don't have to worry about like time to first bite and all that stuff. So relatively low pressure, I think, honestly. Um, there is actually a really cool tool that I found uh, out of this. So, uh, React Query, I think it's called. Because they have an already existing API and in this REST API, I mean, no hate to REST APIs, um, but there's a lot of different like metrics and graphs and data being tossed around on, on the UI. And that means that there has to be a lot of various like API requests. Maybe some might be doubled up and things like that. So uh, we're using a tool called React Query, which is sort of like, Sort of like I think what Apollo does for for GraphQL requests. So Apollo sort of manages its own cache, right? It sort of manages um, invalidating responses based on configs and things like that. So React Query is sort of like this for React hooks, but it also manages uh, cache. So you can have it cache API endpoint responses, and you can have it sort of make sure that you're not blowing the API up and keep things nice and snappy if the data doesn't need to be refetched. And uh, the in the interface for working with it is actually like pretty nice so that was one cool thing that i learned about this week i'll put it in the show notes for sure peeking on the readme here this looks really cool so it does seem very much like apollo except maybe a little less magic like you're a little more you know a little more hands-on doing the fetching yeah 
maybe uh, than than having sort of Apollo has its own sort of guidelines for how API should look, where this is just agnostic to just fetching any kind of data. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it does a lot of stuff. I mean, if you if you go to the docs and pub open the concepts, it's a big list. Um, but it, it has it has interfaces already built out for like say infinite scroll, uh, cursor based pagination, regular based pagination. Uh, it has basically a, like a, a hook for anything you would need to do interfacing with any type of API or endpoint that you would need to get. And again, you don't have to write any of that stuff. You can just use it. And because it's part of the library, you can automatically get the benefits of, you know, the caching. And there's also other things that it can do, like, you know, query retrying, uh, prefetching. Oh, there's so much stuff. I'm trying to look. <laughs> Um, like query canceling. So that way, if like two components are trying to run the same query at the same time, you can cancel one of them and give it the other one with data and stuff like that. So it's, it's pretty nice. Cool. Um, so Thomas in the chat asked me what the fast API stuff was about. So Thomas is my resident Pythonista. If I have a Python question, I asked Thomas. And so I asked Thomas about fast API earlier this week because, uh, the client actually just recently, I think just towards the middle of this week, like yesterday, maybe even got their API open. Uh, so up to this point, we're actually developing against a mock API server that was developed in Python. Python 3.6 plus based on standard Python type hints. Cool. I know, I actually know some of those words. Yeah, I don't, I don't really, I don't, I don't know. That's why I asked Thomas, I was like, Thomas, how do I do this? <laughs> uh, how do I run this thing? And I showed him the error. He's like, oh, just run this command and it works. So thanks, Thomas. <laughs> um, another thing that's really new to me is having to do everything through VPN. So this client has everything locked down. So they have their own GitLab instance behind the VPN. So I can't even get to their GitLab in, unless I'm going through their VPN. So they had to send me all my credentials and stuff like that. Um, they even have their own enterprise version uh, or enterprise account of NPM. And so they have some packages that they specifically maintain that we have to pull from their NPM server. So I learned about this thing called NPMRC, which I'll link right now. Basically, it's like NPM profile management. So you, there's a configuration setting uh, that you can set that tells, uh, where is it? Basically, when you, when you say go install this thing, it's going to look at either like the public NPM or a private registry, right? Uh, and it, you don't want to set that globally all the time because it'd be annoying. So you can use NPM RC to create new profiles and you can switch profiles on the fly for installing stuff. Nice. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So that's a whole thing. Uh, you know, so there are people trying to figure out, so, you know, we're, I'm having to do work when I'm connected to their VPN, but I don't want to leave it on all the time, or I don't want to actually forget that I'm connected to their VPN because then I implicitly trust them for everything. Um, so I noticed that some people in the, the dev channel were talking about like maybe a Docker solution or they had some way that you could actually proxy only certain requests through the VPN and the rest of the traffic would go over your regular open network. So that was interesting. Um, but I also found another tool that Rockwell, actually, I think you might really like this. Hold on. I have to open Slack because I don't remember what it was called. I'm listening. Drum roll, please. Drum roll. We're still drum rolling. Still drum rolling. Proxy man. This is what it was called. So I was wondering if this is something, this is a tool that I could use to kind of do something similar, right? So choose which requests go through. Uh, the VPN and which ones don't. So like, you know, if I'm connected to VPN working and then I hop on a three hour Zoom call, do I want that to go through your tunnel the whole time? You know, stuff like that. So Proxyman is, uh, you know, 
build as a modern and delightful web debugging proxy. So that doesn't really mean a whole lot. So basically, you can inspect any anything happening over your network. And also, it does SSL uh, inspecting as well, Rockwell. Why do you keep saying my name? I'm right here, man. I'm selling this to you, Rockwell. Um, but basically, they, they also have like a scripting. You can script it with JS. And so I was wondering if there's a way for, for me to script this sort of behavior. Uh, so that can be a fun project. This looks really cool, especially with the HTTPS support. I can't think of anything off the top of my head that I would use this for, but again, it's so broad. Like it probably could use it for a little bit of everything. I'm not really sure. Right. But it seemed like a new a neat tool. So yeah, I'm sure you would find a use for this. And it's native. It's not not electron. Yeah. You do these sort of inspecting things. I never do, but you do, so you might like this. I'm usually, I'm usually looking at serial ports, not HTTPS these days. But uh yeah, the tech, I mean that's that's kind of it, you know. So it's it's basically React. Um, nothing super special about it. What about uh, CSS? Uh, style components. What is that? Oh boy! <laughs> I open another can of worms here. Is this a CSS concept or what? Mm, no, it's a CSS and JS thing. Oh. Um. So I don't have a ton of experience with this. I've seen this off and on. Um, Spectrum chats. Uh, co-founder Max Stoiberg, I think is one of the people that originally helped create style components. Um, but yeah, it, it's um, it's a thing. So uh, you you have your components, like you have like a button component that's sort of like a bare button, right? And then you create what's called like a, a styled button that has the the styles attached to it, and then you would pass your regular button into the styled button. Uh, oh, hold and- on. so it's a function. Kinda. So it uses uh, tag template. Uh, what are they called? Tag template. So basically, you can you can pass tag template to a function, right? Um, and you can get the input, like you get the string input and the variable inputs of a of tag template in JavaScript. So it uses that to sort of do its magic. Like I said, I haven't done a whole lot, so I probably sound like a dummy right now. But it's a it's definitely its own thing. So like when you ask about CSS, it's not like oh, it's BEMS or whatever CSS idea framework, right? It's actually like a different tool. This hurts my brain, just looking at it. Yeah, so so from an architectural standpoint, if you're, lo- say like we're looking at a folder in the project. So if we're looking at components and then say like a modal component. So in the modal folder, we'd have uh, the modal component itself, TypeScript file or a TSX file, because it would have JSX in it. Then we have the modal uh, types. So if we'd have to define any types or anything like that, the types would go in there. And then you have the modal.styles, I think it is, that actually contains like the styling for that modal. I remember when I was doing learning JavaScript, you just do like document.write. <laughs> and that was how you would put dynamic things on the page. Yeah, it's 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 honestly it's a lot to come in like even like for me it's even a lot to like come into this and sort of feel like I actually under like really understand what's going on to be to be honest. So there's definitely some uh I wouldn't say anxiety, but but yeah, I, I'm definitely gonna have to level up or like learn about these tools before I can actually be productive and I'm taking this thing over next week. So well, you know, we'll see how that goes. I have faith in you. Come on, you'll be fine. I mean, honestly, the stuff that I'm doing is is probably the stuff that nobody else wants to do. So we have to do some email templates for this client as well. So Wes, the lead, is taking that because Naku wants to do the email templates. You know, so he's knocking it out. So letting he's letting the other developers just continue continue on with the app. So I'm banking on that. 
I'm banking on just picking up the garbage work that anyone wants so they can continue on doing the work they're doing. But we'll see. At least you don't have to make those technical decisions. Like, they're already made for you right now. So you just kind of have to conform to whatever else is doing, at least at right. this point. Well, I'm weaving my fingers in there. I have two crusades that are ongoing currently. Crusade number one is Tailwind. Crusade number two is WebStorm. <laughs> you know what? That's a, that's a good two-pronged approach. I like it. It's kind of tangential. It's kind of uh, perpendicular yeah. to, to what you're working on right now, it sounds like. I feel like you could you could start worming those things in there. I'm I'm dropping tidbits here and there as I go. So like I'll be on a call with Wes and I'll be like, oh hey, uh, I used to do this thing this way, and oh here's here's Tailwind. Have you heard Tailwind? No, what's Tailwind? Well, let me send you the website, my friend. So uh, yeah, I'm dropping little tidbits. And he was like, oh this looks awesome. So positive reception up front. That's good news. That's good news. I'm surprised Tailwind is not. Maybe we're just in a big echo sphere right now, but it seems like more people would know about Tailwind. Yeah, so from what I've observed so far, I don't know if they have better work-life balance than I do, honestly. Uh, but what I've observed is like they, they have a way of doing things. They've been doing it, and it works fine for the clients. It's been flexible enough, so they just continue doing that instead of having to change stuff up a whole lot. So, mm-hmm. And we do have time in our schedule. I don't think I've mentioned this, but for like learning and development. So there's like scheduled time for, for that kind of thing. It's just that um, they're busy doing other stuff. So... You know, if it's working fine and they haven't any issues with it, then, you know, well, I guess one of the questions I asked off the top about this one, I was like, okay, so it's a custom React app, not even create React apps custom. Uh, why not roll with Next if it's mostly, you know, just a standard web thing? Um, and the answer was, well, you know, they haven't looked into Next a whole lot. And that, that's fair because uh, they haven't needed to. But also, like, what if, you know, what if we get through the project and something changes and suddenly we have to sort of break one of next rules? So basically, they're not beholden to any framework rules at this point besides React, like the base React, right? So that's something that they're always kind of thinking about is, you know, while next might be really popular in certain circles, maybe it Im- imposes some rules. And after we hand this off, the client gets this software and then it, it's limiting to them in some way. I mean, chances are it might not be, but it could be, you know? Yeah, but knowing the framework or the tool will inform that decision, right? Whether you yeah. actually go ahead and use it or not. Like, if you know what it does and the project is a perfect use case for it, then, you know, by all means, go ahead, I think. But but I understand where the flexibility is coming from. And you just, it's a trade off of, yeah, we have this flexibility, but we have to come up with our own conventions, more mm-hmm. or less. Yeah. And they definitely have some conventions that, uh, that most of the repos I've looked at seem to follow, which is also good. That's, that's totally fine. Like, they were set a while back and they seem pretty okay. Like I don't have any major issues with them. So it is, it is what it is on that front. But yeah, that was kind of like, I, I, I appreciated the answer certainly was it's all in the service. At the end of the day, what I've gathered so far is they don't, they don't make these technical decisions because they're cool technical decisions or cutting edge technical decisions. They make the decisions in the service of the customer or the client. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, the decision that they make has to serve the client best. Otherwise, the client might not come back, you know, the client might tell other people not to go there, et cetera. So, which I really like, I really like that there's a lot of empathy towards the end clients that we're working for, because I know like when I used to work at consulting, that's really hard to keep that mentality. Uh, it can become really like all about the tech and less about the client and about you being right because you're the tech person and they're paying you because you're the tech person, you know? Um, I haven't observed that so far and that's really encouraging to me because I definitely fell into that trap, uh, years ago when I was consulting. 
Yeah, when you're in control and designing the product, it's a really alluring, sort of powerful place to be. Where, you know, you, like you said, you you think you're right, but you uh you might be so stuck in what you think is right that it might not be actually the right solution, maybe for you for a project that you want to do, but maybe for the actual project that someone's paying you for, might not be. Right. Yeah. So that's what I've learned after four days. <laughs> <laughs> This is cool, man. I really, uh, this is really amazing to hear about. I'm glad you're doing well and I'm looking forward to hearing all about it and, and learning about it. And it's just, uh, it's just, just so different, man. Just, just, just different experience. Yeah, it is. It's very different. It felt really strange at first. You'll normalize it. I feel like I'm starting to already, but I feel like maybe I'm more comfortable already in which, which is, which is good. But yeah, it's definitely. I guess one interesting thing that I have, I have seen is in talking to a couple of the web leads, uh, the first two I talked to both left for a while and came back. They both left for product jobs and they ended up coming back. <laughs> so one after a couple of months and one after a few years. So I hope that's good. I hope that's good uh, foreshadowing for just the culture around MetaLab. Um, but yeah, it, that's something I've noticed is that a few people have left for greener pastures, so to speak. And have ended up coming back. So, and maybe the most important question of the night: How many pictures they posted of Watson into Slack? Two. That's it. You got those are rookie numbers. You got to pump those numbers up. Well, I mean, among these calls and Watson's tails like flying around in the background, so they always want to see him. <laughs> yeah, Jamie can attest to it. I'm always having to like go fetch Watson off the couch and hold him in front of the camera. <laughs> He's heavy too. It's hard to hold him up. So I was meeting another engineer lead today. And she was like, we kind of came to the end of the technology thing we're talking about. And she was like, so I see a tail running around back there. I was like, oh yeah, there's Watson. Pick him up, you know. Pick him up. Can you even pick him up? Yeah. He has to, he has to be willing, but yeah, I can pick him up. Yeah. He went to the vet yesterday and he's a little bit overweight, they said. Oh no. 81 pounds. I don't see it, but they said he was overweight. Hurt his feelings a little bit. No, he's he's doing good. Yeah. But... A good week, I think. Like, it, it feels like it's been longer than four days, honestly. Feels kind of a, like a weird, uh, like I'm in some sort of like time warp. Yeah, I feel that. Feel that. Yeah, what's even, I don't know. I, I'm still getting used to like leaving my computer and then not receiving any messages until 9 a.m. the next day. So nice, man. So nice. You don't even have to worry about forcefully shutting it down. You just, just stops, right? Yeah, I just, I just set myself to away and. It's done. The only thing you're missing is like a commute to sort of have that transition from work to home. Yeah. Normally I take Watson on a walk right after I'm done working. There you go. That's a good, that's a good plan. Yeah. So I, I get done with work. I take Watson out and then I come back and I cook and then I take him to the dog park. So it's like a quick walk, but it's something at least. Maybe you should make a, take a longer walk according to the vet. He just gets too many treats during the day. <laughs> that's really what it comes down to, I think. Hey, I got a little bit of JavaScript follow-up from last week. Uh, Hit me with it. So I think you mentioned this on the show last week, Nuxt Content. Mm -hmm. I was working on my personal website, rockwashrock.com. Go check it out. Yeah, like there was just a lot of content on there that I really wanted it to be easier to edit. Threw Nuxt Content in there, took all my markup in line with all my content, threw it into a bunch of markdown files. I even actually used just plain old YAML files, for example, like. I'm mean, my main page just like lists of links without 
tons of like I don't need to write prose, right? It's just just a couple of lists of links to, you know, other projects and social media profiles and stuff. Next content, you can just one of the sources is just a plain old YAML file, which is awesome. So I extracted all my content into this plain text YAML and markdown files. And I just load that and just generate it at runtime. And, and I figured out the Nux static thing. I finally got that working. Awesome. So it's fully, fully static. And uh, it's easy now if I go in there and have to change stuff. My whole resume, too, is totally just, just uh, I broke each section of my resume into multiple files, multiple folders and or in multiple files within there. Just works great, man. I just love it. It's, it's just, you know, that's what I loved about Jekyll was just being able to write all your content and mark down and just just run with it and i hadn't thought of for some reason that just constant hadn't th- crossed my mind with nuxt and so nuxt content was a perfect solution for that it's way more flexible too you know you can do yaml json markdown whatever you want yeah pretty pretty cool yeah it seems really neat uh i didn't find anything like it for next but i'll keep looking because uh, i need to i just need to make more stuff in in that world i haven't really made my, enough things in that world so I'm kind of getting jealous a little bit. I was talking to Jaggy about uh, some Laravel things. And I was getting a little jealous, and uh, yeah, miss view a little bit too, to be honest. It is nice, man. It's pretty nice. It's nice. That's things. the that's the like the long game. You gotta. That's my third crusade. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe wait like six months minimum, six months to a year. Get comfortable. Get people trust you, and then you start you start wedging in those ideas. You start. What I could do is just start building stuff during my L and D times, in 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 that uh, or or uh, I could start doing lunch and learn because we do these lunch and learn things so people can figure out whatever they want to present on and over lunch you can present to your coworkers and stuff. So I could just you know start doing that. Pick Dart. I I've heard really good things about Dart. Honestly, so Green Jenny in the chat said that I should my my third crusade should be Dart. That, I guess that'd be my fourth one. Friend of the show, Greg Shear, once told me it was his favorite language. I also made one more update to my website. Uh, I've had this thing on my site that it started existing in the year 2000, the far off year of 2000, 20 years ago. It's crazy to think about. 2000 was 20 years ago. The Boolean machine, originally des- designed in Macromedia Fireworks before Adobe even bought Macromedia. Oh my. Macromedia Fireworks. Bully Machine was a sort of learning tool to teach people how to do this what Boolean logic is in the turn in the context of doing searches on Alta Vista of all things. <laughs> like doing doing searches on the web and like what does and mean, what does or mean, what does not mean, and just visually representing it. Mm-hmm. And it was originally this fireworks thing. Then eventually rewrote it to look like I don't know if you remember Google's old style before they did material UI and everything where it was kind of like this light shade of blue and like Arial text yeah. on top of everything. You know what I'm talking about? Like Google Reader, that kind of era. So I was inspired by that design. So I rewrote the Boolean machine, just plain old JavaScript and some images. You just hover over the things and just shows you three different images. Fine, whatever. Uh, when I upgraded to the next app, I forgot to bring all that content over because it's just static content. And I started getting emails about it from all kinds of people. I actually got an email from the Department of Defense for the Netherlands. What? Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, the librarian for the Department of Defense for the Netherlands has it on the site. And he's like, oh, it's down. It's not working. So I had to go, I had to go put it back up. Uh, but <laughs> that's, that's wild. <laughs> I know. 
<laughs> of all the things. But I was like, you know what? It's time. It's time to, it's time for a little redesign. And so I wanted to see just just it started off as like a thought experiment. How far can I get with just Tailwind and Vue.js? Because it's literally just, you know, a Boolean, you know, just like two two circles that overlap by a little bit. You have colors to fill them in, and then you hover over three different and or not, and uh, it shows you what the logic does. So I, f- I took me half a day, but I do have a fully functioning Vue.js thing. It's just pure CSS now. And uh, it's just a bunch of layers of sort of circles. They're, they're square. First of all, I had to figure out how to make a square div and then overlap it and make it responsive. And then I had to, you know, then you just do a full full rounded border on that to make it a perfect circle. Mm-hmm. Then I had to figure out how to layer, okay, there's a background color, then there's like the filled in colors, and then there's the lines, the black borders. And the hard one was doing and because and is like the intersection. So this is kind of like, ellipse shaped like a diamond shape kind of in yeah, the middle yeah the intersection of the circles and so i had to do a combination of okay fill in one red circle like the right hand one and then use css masking and create a circle on the left side that intersected it and it masked out the thing and and somehow i got it to to work out so pure css scalable responsive boolean diagram and you can type in and put your own text in in the Boolean things, and it saves it, auto-updates the URL, so you copy and paste the URL, and it, it remembers your two little fake search terms that you put in the top there. That was a fun little feature, so people can paste in whatever they want, and they can uh, you know, use their own search terms. So, Yes, SVG, Green Jenny mentions SVG. That would have been the right solution, <laughs> but uh, I was just using the tools that I knew. I really should have just done SVG graphics for sure, and just inlined it. I know I could use, uh, what's that Mac OS app? Draw or uh, Pencil, Stencil? What's that app called? I don't know. Mm. There's a Mac OS app for vector things that, that generates SVGs, and yeah, that would have been the right way to do it. <laughs> VRML. What is that even? VRML, oh my God. You know, the first time I saw VRML was the, the first Mars rover, Pathfinder. Oh my God, NASA had this whole VRML thing that you could explore the mars pathfinder dropship and the little the little rover in vr oh my god it was so cool it was so cool sean it was so bad took forever to download it was crappy it was slow very low fps uh was it any better than that uh virtual reality tour of uh go for net or whatever it was that we took (laughs) (laughs) at least people still use gopher i don't think anyone uses vr mail anymore I'm sure people do. I'm sure they're out there. Well, Stripe is over there using, just doing, uh, what are they using, that, that Facebook's 3D, or uh, whatever they call it, 3JS, for doing the crazy graphics. Did you see that that uh, article? I haven't seen that, no. It's awesome. It's awesome. I'll put a link in the show notes to that. It's uh, They did a whole engineering blog and breakdown of how they decided how to represent the globe and, and, and how to like render it in 3D, and it's it's a really, really cool effect. That is pretty cool. Stripe on top of their game again. And then also just like going out of the way to explain how it all works. It's very cool. I've done some simple 3GIS stuff for clients, but nothing like that. Some data biz things. We, we got really off the rails here. Anyway, so, but I have a lot of fun with Nuxt. Got the Boolean machine rewritten. Rockershock.com slash Boolean. Put a link in the show notes to that. Um, pretty happy with how it came out. Of course, it's all Tailwind, so it looks just like you would expect the tailwind thing to look 
Those cool blue grays, man. They're everywhere. Clean and tidy? Yep. Well, cool. Uh, if anyone has any feedback on Rockwell's Boolean machine, let us know. Version 3. Or I suppose if anybody wants to correct me on my scrumness, my scrum chat earlier, and uh, style components, also please let us know. You can scrum Sean on Twitter, Sean Washbot. I am Shrockwell. Or you can tweet both of us on the show at DNC Cast. Everything we talked about today uh, will be linked in the show notes. So if you're looking for something specific that we mentioned, head on over to dnc.show to check it out. Nero just mentioned some unheard, unseen members on the show this week. They're over our Twitch chat because we're streaming live on Twitch every week, Thursday night, 6 Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern, twitch.tv slash dnccast. Come join us, say hi, ask questions, comments, feedback, be part of the show. And as always, thanks to uh, Spec for having us and putting us out in the world. If you're into design and development-related podcasts, you should head over to spec.fm and check them out. All right, see you later. All right, uh, have a good night.